your, in your notebooks. So this is the first one of the series of the first nine Proverbs. So um, if you haven't got one, just hold your hand up and they'll, they'll give you one. This morning, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. Like I said, I think we might just do the first nine. We'll definitely do the first nine and then we'll take a break and we'll study Romans uh, probably into the new year. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. You'll find it in your handout there. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight... To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. What we're going to talk about this morning primarily is epistemology. And uh, epistemology is it's, it's the study of knowledge. Epistemology uh, seeks to give us assurance of things we say we know. Um, I don't know when fake news started. Anybody know when fake news started? Was it the Onion that was one of the first fake news sources? 10 years, has it been 10 years, 12? Uh, I remember when, when that started, uh, that it was just one of the funniest things because you'd read it and it was like you're reading the newspaper, but it was all fake. And then I remember my folks would would say, yeah, they call me like, did you hear that this? I'm like, Dad, where'd you read that? You know, I'm like, no, that's, that's fake news. He's like, why can they do that? How can they do that? How can they print stuff? And it's just not true. And I also remember one of our PCA magazines had this big article on, and it just said, tell the truth. And it talked about all the danger of fake news. Epistemology seeks to say, we can know this is true. And we are in an unprecedented time, I think, in human history. Not just me, but many philosophers. I was reading Mircelof Wolf from Harvard, and he says, we have now done what uh, Nietzsche said. We have, we have broken the chain from the sun to the earth by declaring God dead. And what we know, what we think we know, is being challenged. And I don't know if it was Wolf or someone else called, called the, the situation that our planet is in, called it the third world. Not third world like undeveloped nations in, in sub-Sahara Africa, but third world in the way we grapple with what we know. He said the first world was, was made up of, of all kinds of, and if you go to any, any country, any primitive people, they'll have this system of belief that is based upon some greater power the spirits the ancestors and when christianity came to the world he calls that the second the second world that that it brought this message that there is one true god 
And everything he says is true. And the record of, of, of his dealings with human beings and what he requires is written down in the Bible. And, and, and so we still have that. The vestiges of that are still in our nation. We don't realize it. A lot of people don't realize it, even if they're not Christian. They don't realize that, that so much of what the Proverbs talk about, justice, righteousness, equity, being just, being righteous, being fair, those things came uh, from this second world idea that, that there is a God and he is the judge of all and he, he knows humanity, he created humanity, he put the world together, he holds it together and he is the one that says this is right and this is wrong. This is how you should treat somebody. If you read through the scriptures in the Old Testament, you find just a wealth of his laws that are just, they're just smart, they're just wonderful. Um, but we have moved away from that. And it's hard for many of us to even know what to believe. And we as Christian people, we as the church, we, we, we can't be lax in our epistemology. We can't just say that's what most people think. We can't just say the government allows it. We can't just say that, that that's, that's how I feel. We must know what is right and what is true. We can't trust everything we hear, read, or feel. And I fear that many Christians are very immature about many things. Our knowledge, our stand, far too often it is derived from the culture around us. Comparing ourselves as parents to other parents, comparing ourselves as students to other students. What we think is right is derived not through careful thinking, not through critical analysis, not even through looking historically. What we believe, what we think we know, it just comes to us and we unwitting, unwittingly accept it. 30 years ago, if someone would have said, I feel like a woman, therefore I want you to use feminine pronouns for me, the, the, the country would have said, that person needs to go and get psychiatric help. They're, they're not a woman. They're, every cell in their body is saying they're a man. They, they need to go and get help. You know where we are? We're very close today to the person who says that person needs help. The culture says, no, you need help because you should accept them for what they think they are. How do we get there? Well, we've lost for many of us, we have really lost a solid grounding to the truth of God's word. Our epistemology, our, our, th our thoughts of knowledge, us saying what we know, has, has really, it has really come through how we feel about things and how we feel about things has been affected by our culture and our friends and our surroundings. And so this book, Proverbs, I want you to think of it in this way. Solomon the wisest man of all times, the scripture says, is, is, it's a collection, it's not all of his stuff, it's collections, is saying, oh my son, before you take over and rule this great kingdom, before you have, have authority that's unparalleled in our culture, before you, before you have that, here are the things you must know. Here are the things you must be wise about. I was talking to Madison about her car. When all my boys got cars, they had to demonstrate to me that they could change a tire. 
Frances didn't have to change a tire. She just had to stand on the side of the road and cry. <laughs> uh, I was like, well, yeah, before you go, you need to know how to do this. You need to know how to do that. And the boys were like, why didn't you make Anna do any of that stuff? I'm like, because she can call me. She can, I, I should have. You're right. I really should have. I failed her in that. She should know how to change a tire. But I like being needed. What would you want to know? So uh, maybe a month ago, I was teaching the youth class. And um, I was talking to them about the five points of Calvinism. Uh, Theological points that deal with our relationship with God. And I asked them all, hey, if a zombie apocalypse happened, who would you want in your clan? Who would you want in in your circle? If zombie apocalypse happens, who would you want? And uh, number one, uh, he's not here this morning, our deacon Brian, Brian Buchanan, number one vote-getter. So Brian Buchanan, if you're listening and you're watching, as you should be, uh, you got the one, you you won, you won. Number two, Bo. I figured, you know, you you could rescue him, teach him how to catch some fish. You know, you probably have a gun or so, you know how to use it, you know. Uh, number three, Ricky. I thought Ricky, you know, I, 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 I just tell you, Ricky, you were my first vote getter. I'm like, Ricky, couch because he knows everything. So, uh, and if he, you get Ricky, you get Ashley so we can have babies, you know, we're good to go, right? You know what happened? Nobody voted for me. I just kept looking at him like anybody else. Anyone else you'd want there? You know, anybody maybe for some spiritual guidance? Anybody? Nope, nope, that, that'll do, that'll do. Nobody wanted Greta Thornburg there either, so that was good. I don't know if you know who that is. That's the uh, what, 16-year-old that speaks about climate change. Um, I tried to look up her name, and I loved it. You know, when you look it up and they say, uh, people also search for this, the, <laughs> the first thing it said, uh, people also search, <laughs> they ask, has she done anything? Uh, nobody, none of the youth said Michael Jackson. Uh, nobody really uh, thought that it, it might be good to have Tom Brady there. It was, uh, it was men, primarily, that they knew they could trust. In Proverbs, it starts out very simply, the Proverbs of Solomon. So these first seven verses, it's a, it's a preamble to the book. It's setting up the, who, who, who is writing the book, what's it for, and, and really what the theme of, that, of, of the book is going to be. And so uh, I want to start with that, the purveyor. Who, who is this Solomon that we are talking about? Uh, Solomon, son of David. King Solomon. So uh, in, in the Old Testament, you can read that, and, and, and it, it kind of expects that the, writer, the reader's going to know Solomon, I know who he is, but just, just to make sure you understand. In 1 Kings 3, all the way through 1 Kings 3 through 11, so that might be your good homework. Read up about uh, the life of Solomon. 1 Kings 3 to 11, uh, Solomon takes over as king. He is the third king of the United Kingdom. He is the last king of the United Kingdom, and he has a long rule. All of those are signs of God's blessing signs of God's wisdom. He is holding all of these various tribes and clans together. They are very warlike. Uh, they, they, they don't necessarily like each other, and he is able to hold all of them together. First Kings 3 says this, 
Solomon loved the Lord. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Solomon prays to the Lord. The Lord visits him. The Lord visits him two times. Uh, and, and so again, it's just another one of those things that just kind of uh, rubs my skin the wrong way when people say, God told me this, God told me that. Uh, it, it, it may be the Holy Spirit is leading you in a direction, but to say that God speaks to you apart from his word is a pretty powerful thing. When it comes to Solomon, God tells him, I have come spoken to you twice. <clears throat> the first time God comes to him as a young man and says, ask what you wish. Imagine that. God saying to you, ask what you wish. You can have one wish. <laughs> Right? I mean, it's, it's just a proverbial genie in the bottle, isn't it? Ask what you will. And Solomon says, verse 9, Give me wisdom to know and to lead. Solomon responds, I don't want the death of my enemies. I don't want to be extremely attractive to women. I don't want lots of money. What I want is wisdom. Please, God, give me wisdom. How can I lead these people? How can I rule? How can I avoid the mistakes of my father, the kings before him? Oh, God, give me wisdom. In verse 28, it says that his wisdom was so extraordinary that it was admired all over the world. In chapter 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. I love this. Now again, we don't know who these people are, but it lists them out. He was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and all his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and 1,000 songs. He spoke of trees from the cedars and in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts, of birds, of reptiles, of fish. And the people of all the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard his wisdom. That's who's writing this. Okay, he is writing this but behind him is God. God is blessing Solomon. And it's amazing. I love it because those of you who know me know it's rare that on a Sunday morning I don't talk about the weather or some kind of plants, right? I mean, I love plants. I had fresh blackberries off the blackberry bush this morning. I love nature. I love what God has created. I love the sunrise. I absolutely am nuts over scissor tails. Solomon knew all of that stuff. The wisdom of God goes to every discipline. It's like Solomon had the, uh, the Natural History Museum of Solomon, importing animals and different types of wood and all, all that. Um, he was the wisest of all the men on earth. He was also, as it says in our text, the son of David. And so he was a man of prayer. Psalm 72 is a psalm that's written by Solomon. And I'll just read a couple verses of it. He says, give your king your justice, O God. 
Solomon is saying, I have this role and it's so vitally important. Oh Lord, help me be just. Help me do what is right. Give me justice and your righteousness. Your right way of doing things. Your right way of being to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Solomon was humble before God. That's the first thing that's necessary. He humbled himself before God. He didn't take the role and say, I know what to do. My dad was the king. I've watched him. I know what to do. He said, I don't know what to do. I am afraid that I will be unjust. I'm afraid that I'll be unrighteous. I'm afraid that I will prefer the rich and the wealthy and the powerful and the beauty, beautiful over the poor. I am concerned about that, oh God. Please give me wisdom. Please lead me in a way. And so humility leads to prayer, which leads to wisdom. That's the cycle of maturity for a Christian. Humility leads to prayer, which leads to wisdom. And it continues. Wisdom leads us to prayer, which leads us to humility, which leads us to wisdom. The sermon in the sentence this morning, I kind of brushed over it already, didn't I? Sermon in the sentence, we must submit ourselves to the supremacy of God in all things if we expect to mature. We submit ourselves to the supremacy. That means the overwhelming uh, authority, rightness, rule of God in all things, if we expect to mature. So Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, a man of wisdom because he was a man of prayer. We, however, are a people who think we know. You might want to write this down. The most dangerous thing is to not know what you don't know. (laughs) To not know what you don't know. My son DeAndre, we were out shooting rifles, black powder rifles. We were sighting them in, and he had seen me load one. I had three different rifles. He had seen me load one. And so he took the other rifle and he loaded it the same way. It was a different rifle, he did different powder, he did a different shot. He didn't know that he didn't know. So next time he comes to visit, you see that scar up his nose? That was from the, uh, <laughs> that was from the black powder rifle that he pretty, was pretty sure he knew how to load and fire. Um, and God rescued him from that. But we, we don't know what we don't know. And so Proverbs is going to say, there's, there's things that you don't know. And, and if you don't know that you don't know, then you don't humble yourself. I hope that makes sense to you. Because what, what keeps us from being wise is our pride. What keeps us from learning is our pride. Right? I mean, just think about it. You're, you're asked to uh, train a new employee. New employee comes in and you've got a certain way that you do things in your business and you start to tell that employee about how you do things in your business and that employee goes, no, I know all this. I got it. I got it. I know. I know. I know. Don't, 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 I don't, don't micromanage me. I know. You're like, oh no. Tell you what, interesting thing. My mom said, Mark, 
When you look for a wife, look for one who is humble before the Word of God. She ain't going to be perfect. She's not going to know everything she needs to know. She's not going to be this wonderful, like, you know, halo around her and all. No, but look for a woman who will submit herself to the Word of God. Because then you know that you have that same foundation, that same core, that same knowledge, that same belief, and that, and that she will become more and more like Christ, and she will push you to become more and more like Christ. Our pride gets in the way. When someone gives you advice about something and you feel like you're an expert on it, you feel like you need to let them know that you already know, don't you? I already know that. I've already done that. I figured that out. Uh, it's easier to ask for advice when we're out of our league. And when being out of our league doesn't cost us our righteousness. Uh, so you know, a few years ago, I, I, I took a whole group of youth fishing on a river. And I had two boys in the canoe. And one boy in the front of the canoe said, I know how to fish. I'm like, okay, you ever fish Shenandoah River? Nope, but I know how to fish. I'm like, okay. Kid behind me, like, I don't know anything about fishing. Never been. This is the first time. We had a picture in our youth room of that kid with the biggest smallmouth I've ever seen come out of the Shenandoah River. And his smile is unbelievable until he cried when I made him throw it back. But his smile is unbelievable. And I put that picture up there and I always wanted the boy in the front of the canoe to look at that picture of the boy in the back of the canoe and to make the connection. You know why? The boy in the front of the canoe caught zero. Zero. At lunchtime, we sat down on the river. I said, hey, listen, I've got some of these lures. This works pretty good here. He's like, I told you, I know how to fish. I'm like, you do, you do. You know how to fish. You don't know how to catch. <laughs> but it was his pride. Kept him just from learning maybe a new system, a new way. And so Solomon, what's so, so amazing about him is, is he was given all of this. And he still had the humility to say, Lord, I don't know what I need to know. Lord, I don't even know what I don't know. So there are two things you must remember. One, you need to work on humbling yourself to be teachable in spirit before God Almighty, before the Holy Spirit to say, I'm convinced of certain things, O God, but they might be wrong. They might, I, I, I might be wrong about what I believe about this or what I think I know about something. I might be wrong. Humility. God, you brought this other person into my life. You might have done that because there's things they're going to teach me. You brought someone else close to my heart. And there are things that I'm seeing about myself that I don't like. Let me push them away. No, no, let me bring them closer. Because it's clear that sometimes other people see things about you that you don't see about you. Give me the humility to accept it and receive it. Humility, and then secondly, check your sources. Before you accept something as true, ask yourself, why do I believe that? The scriptures say... Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Consider, the scriptures say, the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. What are the scriptures saying? Be critical of who you believe. Look at the outcome of their life 
and imitate their faith. All right, so that's the author, Solomon. The purposes, in verses 2 to 6, we have these four infinitives that one after another, to know, to receive, to give, and to understand. Uh, he's saying, here's what it's for, all right? Here's my son. Here's what I put this book together for, okay? It's not a book of promises. It's a book of wise sayings. It's a book of proverbs. It's a book of riddles. Uh, I've put this together so that you would know, verse 2, you would know wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom, okay? They're, they're different things. Knowledge and wisdom, okay? Knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is taking what you know about stuff and applying it to the situation, right? You've probably met people that know, have learned about everything in books, right? They've got all the book learning, and they may have even read about relationships, and yet in, in actuality, they can't have a good, healthy relationship. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it in practice. And so Solomon is saying, I want you to know these things to know so that you might become wise, to instruct you, to understand words of insight, to know wisdom, to become conscious of, to be aware of, to observe, to perceive, to realize and experience. Wisdom here is seen as instruction, correction, rebuke, in order to set things right or to reset things that are going wrong. Wisdom, Solomon wants to give it to his son to help stop the cycles of folly and waste, to avoid the pitfalls of immaturity. You know, in Proverbs, you are being led to water, but you will never be forced to drink. You are being brought into the wisdom of God. You're going to be instructed, and here is what is wise and right, and, and yet you won't be forced to drink it. I feel like there are many people that are angry at God. They feel He is distant, that yet they fail to know Him. They have expectations based upon what they have conjured up in their mind God should be, what God should look like, what He should do. And their God in their mind is not at all like the God of the Bible. These instructions are given us that you might know, that you might have wisdom. Verse 3, that you would receive it. His, his begging, his son, please listen, please receive it. Look at the things he says, you're going to need it in righteousness. You're going to need to know what is right. I mean, today, I think if you ask somebody, what, why do you know that's right and that's wrong? They're, nine out of ten, I think, are going to say, because I feel it. Why is this right? Why do you think that's wrong? Well, I feel like this, should, this, this is the way things should be. Or I feel like this is the way things should be. And they don't understand that all of that feeling has been brought about by a culture, much of it affected by Christianity, but it's going to be different as it unfolds across the world. Uh, he says, I, I want you to receive it. I want you to understand righteousness. I want you to understand justice. What is just? What is equitable? So, I mean, he's writing his son, hey, you're going to have dealings in government? You're going to have dealings in business? you have dealings in relationship? Do you, are you aware that the Bible speaks to all of that? You know, sometimes people just have, they've, they've compartmentalized, the Bible is just about my relationship with God. No, no, no. No, it, it's so much bigger than that. It's about your relationship to yourself, to your family, to your work, to your vocation, to your identity, 
Who am I? Who does God say you are? Nothing can beat what Scripture says about God says we are. Beloved children, to receive, to give. You get the teacher's perspective there in verse 4. I want to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Solomon is saying, I've written these out because this is what I want to give you. I'm going to pass on my kingdom. But but, but what I really want to give you is this knowledge and wisdom. And verse 2 and verse 6 use that same infinitive to understand the words of insight, to understand proverbs and sayings of the wise and their riddles. Wisdom. You are encouraged to seek it throughout the rest of the book, to seek it, to find it, to acquire it, to love it. Uh, I love in, in a couple of these proverbs, uh, Solomon treats wisdom as a woman and folly as a woman. And he's like, okay, son, this is the woman folly. And this is what will happen. And this is what she promises. And this is what it will cost you. Here is the woman wisdom. This is what she promises. This is what it will cost you. This is what she gives you to understand. Seek it, find it, acquire it, love it. The benefits are outlaid in this book too. If you follow it, your way will most often be pleasant, safe. You will be commended. You will be pleasing to God and to others. And here's the principal message as I close. Verse 7. This is what Proverbs is going to tell us. In keeping with the author's promise, here is the theme. My son, the fear of the Lord, it is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, all knowledge, all wisdom starts with a right acceptance of who God is. And then just as a warning, fools despise wisdom and instruction. You find a person that is constantly struggling with the same thing over and over and over again, and they turn their back on wisdom, instruction, and discipline, they are fools, the scripture says. A fool is the person full of pride. Principal message that the fear of the Lord, and it doesn't mean beginning just as if once you get it, then you, you, you build on that, but really it's the fountain of everything. That's what we see in Scripture. It's what we see in Proverbs. There's two types of people, the humble and the proud. The humble fear the Lord, most of all. They care about what God says more than what anybody else says. They avail themselves to God and His knowledge. And the proud are fools who despise wisdom and instruction. That's the principal message. That's where all of it will come from. And for Solomon, he says, that's where it started. God came to me, and I, and, I, and I believed him. And I knew that if I was to have wisdom, if I was to understand righteousness, if I was to understand justice, if I was to understand equity, honoring, then I'd have to get it from God. Now, I can't close and leave Solomon up here um, I said it's 1 Kings chapters 3 to 11. We don't talk about this much. Uh, I suspect many of us don't know the end of Solomon's reign. Um, wisdom isn't enough. 
Proverbs is going to talk about wise living, justice, righteousness, equity, relationships, business, um, even construction is covered. <laughs> How to do construction. Uh, all of these things are covered in this book. But in 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon strays. Solomon strays from his own teaching. And, and, and we know this. I think we know this. It's not just enough to know, is it? It's not just enough to know that the drug use is wrong or cutting myself is, is, is wrong. It's not enough just to know it. We, we, we have to have an internal change. 1 Kings chapter 11. We read about Solomon being drawn away. He said uh, he, he, he loved many foreign women. And I want to share that with you for a couple reasons. One, uh, the message isn't let's be like Solomon. And the message is it's not enough just to be smart, just to know things. Who we love. Who we trust. Chapter 11, he loved many foreign women. He had 700 wives, Solomon. 305 concubines. There was a thousand women that, that Solomon was intimate with. And the text says he, he, they, they, they took his heart away from the Lord. He married the daughter of Pharaoh. He built high places for Ashtoreth, Malek, Chemosh. Those, those gods exacted human sacrifice, child sacrifice. And I'm telling you that as a warning. Christian, it's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to assent. Our hearts must always be turning back towards our God. What undermined Solomon's reign was his love of women. An inordinate desire towards women. But here's the beauty of our story. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and uh, they're really rebuking him. And in verse 42 of Matthew 12, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, the queen of the south. So in 1 Kings 10, the queen of Sheba visits Solomon. Queen of Sheba comes from Africa, visits Solomon and is amazed at all he knows. Um, and so Jesus says, uh, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He's speaking of himself. Our hope is not in Solomon. Our hope isn't in learning enough. Our hope is the one who is greater than Solomon. Our hope is in Jesus. And so as we unpack the wisdom of Proverbs, as we epistemologically correct our ways of thinking, we do so in an effort to be drawn closer to Jesus. Um, Solomon didn't know enough to keep himself from sinning. I don't plan to teach you enough 
that will keep you from sinning. We don't ever plan as a church to get a point where we don't need Jesus. We will always need him. And the closer we walk with him, the easier these messages will be to receive. The closer we walk with him, the easier it is for us to humble ourselves and to say, you're right, I've done this wrong. You're right, I've been unwise here. You're right, I've been hard-headed. I've been proud in this area. To walk with Jesus really makes it easier for us to admit those things. Jesus came as one greater than Solomon, wiser than Solomon, and he gave his life for us. Jesus just didn't come and say, here's a good way to live, and if you live this way, you'll be saved. He says, I've come to save you. I have come to give myself for you. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that the wisdom of your word would be paramount to how we think. We would trust your word far and above what other people say and even our own feelings, for your word tells us what is right and true and is good. But Lord, I pray that as we study wisdom and knowledge and insight, that it will push us ever more to Jesus, that we would confess our false loves our sins, our pride, our ego, and humbly throw ourselves at the foot of the cross every day. Thank you for the elements that are before us, Lord. Thank you for the bread that represents the body of Christ. Thank you for the wine which represents his blood shed on our behalf. The fact is that Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk this planet, needed a savior we will never be smart enough to save ourselves we will never know enough to avoid sin and its entrapments and so we thank you father for the one who is greater than solomon who gave his life to ransom us who is the perfect picture of justice righteousness and equity pray that our trust would be in him and that you would make us folks who live wise, prudent, thoughtful lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Come now to communion. Our Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, as I do, ministering in his name, and he said to his disciples, This is my body. It is broken for you. The beauty of this is that Jesus Christ himself knew that it wasn't his greater wisdom that would save us. It wasn't that we would figure it out. It was his very body and blood that had to save us, to rescue us. So when you take the bread, you are confirming to yourself and to the world that you're not trusting in yourself for salvation. You are trusting in the work of another. This is the abject sign of humility. To walk down the aisle and to grab a piece of bread is humility. It is telling the world, everyone who is in here, I can't save myself. There's not more stuff I need to learn that's going to save me. I I can't do it. I, I must have the work of someone else to rescue me. And I am trusting that that was Jesus Christ. I'm trusting that he was 
He was the one that lived the perfect life in my place. And in that same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this, all of you. Not just some of you disciples, not just Peter who is going to deny him, but all of you, all of you disciples, all who follow Jesus, you need to be washed and cleansed of your sins and you need to be reminded of it over and over again. You see how this helps our humility? I don't have to prove. No, Christ is my all in all. Now this table is for those who've been baptized and have given their life to Christ. It's for those who entrust their lives to him. If you've yet to do that, then this table is not for you. The scriptures warn against it. They say don't eat and drink in an unworthy manner. Um, And so you are warned. Um, The way that you know you are right for the table is if you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ. And it is for us a meal that strengthens our faith as we consider the work of our Savior. So Bo's going to get set up here. He's going to take the bread. This is regular bread. If you have a gluten allergy, this is gluten-free bread. The red is wine. The white is grape juice. When you are ready, come to the Lord's table. Dustin, God bless you, brother. Blood given for you, Scotty. God bless you. Haley, Christ's blood given for you. Christ's blood shed on your behalf. Christ's blood shed for you. Dakota, Christ's blood given for you. You are Dakota, right? That's Reagan. I got him mixed up. Right here. Harley, Christ's blood given for you, brother. Christ's blood shed for you. Zach, Christ's blood given for you, brother. Pat, Christ's blood given for you, sister. Shana, Christ's blood given for you. Heather, Christ's blood given for you. Mary, Christ's blood shed for you. And for you, John, God bless you, brother. Cole, Christ's blood given for you. Karen, Christ's blood shed for you, sister. Brad, you're gonna take wine, take there you go, brother. God bless you. Corby, Christ's blood, shed for you. Vanessa, Christ's blood given for you, sweetie. God bless you. Christ's blood given for you, Ashley. God bless you. Christ's blood given for you. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. 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 These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Feed on him in your heart. Know that your sins are forgiven and you have been cleansed. Not only have your sins been forgiven, but you have been declared righteous, right in his sight.
take and drink. Stand and sing. I will build my house where the storm won't drown on the rock that doesn't move. I will set my hope in your love, O oh Lord, and your faithfulness will prove you are steadfast. Steadfast, you are steadfast. starry hosts are called out by name each night in your watchful care I will rest secure as you lead us with your light you are week we will continue through Proverbs. Um, there'll be a couple Sundays where I'm preaching in different places, but um, we will do the first nine Proverbs. So this morning was really just a preamble, just kind of here's what you can expect. 
who wrote it, who he wrote it to, why did he write it, and why do we need it. So I encourage you over the weeks to come that you read through the Proverbs. Take, uh, there's, there's one for each day of the month, so read through the Proverbs, the wisdom that has lasted for centuries. But now let us go forth as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All right, so this benediction is long, so I try to memorize them, not this one. Uh, This is King Solomon's words as the temple was completed. And um, the cloud, cloud that had led Israel through the wilderness, the cloud of God that represented his presence, filled the temple. And Solomon prays to the people, and then he ushers this benediction. Blessed be the Lord who's given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke to Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, which I pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Let your hearts therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day forever and ever. Amen. Amen.